Good morning. Welcome again to The Daily Cast, a podcast to begin the day on Kilcullen Diary. I'm Brian Byrne, and it's the 20th of May, 2021. This morning, we'll be looking briefly at the life of a flyer who made history when she made an unplanned landing near Derry 89 years ago. And we'll also be hearing about concerns over proposed speed limit revisions in our area. But here's the weather first. Not really looking good. It's uh, wet and windy and will stay that way through the day. The rain will be heavy at times, with the chance of some local flooding. Winds will be fresh to strong and gusty from the south. Temperatures only up to about 12 degrees. Our person of interest today is Amelia Earhart, who on the 20th of May 1932 set off from Newfoundland in Canada in a Lockheed Vega airplane heading for Paris. Instead, having had a petrol leak, she landed in a field outside Derry 15 hours into her flight. In so doing, she had completed her ambition to be the first woman to fly the Atlantic solo. She very much welcomed the offer of a meal from the Gallagher family with whom she made first contact on landing, having had nothing but tomato juice since leaving Canada. Earhart was born in Kansas in the USA and in her 20s she became an accomplished pilot. She funded her flying lessons by working at a variety of jobs, including photographer, truck driver and stenographer. Her first of many records was reaching 14,000 feet in a second-hand plane she had bought, achieving the highest flight by a woman pilot. She had already flown the Atlantic before her solo flight in 1928 as a third-seat passenger with pilot Wilmer Stultz and his mechanic Louis Gordon. They flew from Newfoundland to Wales, and when back home again, the three were given a ticker tape parade. Earhart was promoted as a celebrity, and money from endorsements and a lecture tour helped her in a campaign to advocate for female pilots. In subsequent years, She became the first aviator to fly solo from Hawaii to California and also from Mexico City non-stop to New York. She also became involved in competitive air racing and set several speed and distance records. In 1936, she began planning the goal of her life, a round-the-world flight. A first attempt in March 1937 in a Lockheed Electra failed with a damaged undercarriage on a Pacific island. On a second attempt in July of that year, with navigator Fred Noonan, their plane disappeared near the Nukumano Islands in the Pacific. The place where she landed in Ireland is now part of the Foyle Golf Centre, and the spot is known to golfers there officially as Amelia's Landing, and unofficially as Heart Attack Hill. Now to our feature of the day. And at yesterday's meeting of the Kildare Newbridge Municipal District, two councillors raised concerns about speed limit proposals under the National Speeds Limit Review. These, it seems, would see increases in allowed speeds on some local rural roads, notably Sunny Hill Road in Kilcullen, where residents have been campaigning for lower speeds since 2005. Councillor Tracy O'Dwyer sets the background to yesterday's discussion. We were presented with a presentation in December by Kildare County Council and we were given maps and we were asked for our feedback by January. So we, we looked at the maps and I gave my feedback in relation to many roads. Now I know Sunny Hill was mentioned this morning, but there's many roads um, around Kilcullen, Brannockstown, Gilltown, Sunny Hill, Halverton School, 
forward the, the speed, the recommended speed is increased. So members had their opportunity to give their feedback, which I did at that time. And some of it was taken on board when we got the report that went out with the um, agenda last week, but not all of it. So at this point, it goes to public consultation. So the members of the public will also have a chance now to have their input. Then it comes back to members for approval. So obviously, we, you know, we're not going to approve it. Well, I can only speak for myself. I'm certainly not going to approve elements of it. Um, and I, I would assume councillors feel the same as me, that we, we've all been bringing forward issues with speed and speed and speed and reducing speed. But this is a, it is a very much approach of uniform and speed, making it easier for, I suppose, guards to implement speeding fines, a better understanding of the roads. And if you're on a regional road, this is the speed. If you're outside a school, this is the speed. And I can understand that, that, you know, it makes sense to have a more uniform approach. But if a road is not able to take the either the speed that's currently on it or the capacity, and I know the capacity is an engineering solution, the speed does play a part as well. There's no point of coming up with engineering solutions for roads if we find that the speed is still excessive for what that road can carry. And up to now, we've been told every time as a councillor we brought forward a motion about speed, we were told it had to wait until this national speed review was carried out. So this is what we're in the process of now at the moment. So if we can't, um, I suppose, uh, affect change at this point in relation to speed, it will make it virtually really difficult, impossible, for motions in the future to come forward in relation to speed on a road. So um, it, is, it is important. The public will have their, their opportunity now to, to have their input, which I think will, will only reflect what councillors are saying because we've reflected feedback from uh, constituents. So, you know, we're all well aware of issues on roads in relation to speed. When the, the public put in their own suggestions and submissions on this, is that going to be decided by council or is it going to be decided by the NTA and Gardaí and higher authorities? It will initially be decided by council. They will gather that information and they will collate it and then I presume we will have another presentation at that point based on the feedback from the public. And at that point then there will be, the council will present a finalised document to members and it will be for members to approve it to go forward for a national plan at that point. So in fact the local considerations are not necessarily going to be taken on board by the people who will finally decide. If Caledonian Council take on board public uh, feedback and councillor feedback and it goes from Kildare County Council to the um, the national rollout of this then it, it will be considered but I suppose Kildare County Council don't have any guarantees either that what they put forward will be guaranteed. My impression is that they, you know, each local authority is going to put forward different information and based on maybe where you are, maybe a quiet road in Kerry won't warrant as much input as for example, the Giltown Road here because of traffic. But at that higher level, at the national level, they may just take a blanket approach. So while we will provide feedback, and we'll obviously all provide strong feedback, I suppose there is no guarantee what national level is going to agree in relation to the roads. How much power does the public consultation have, do you think? 
you know, I, I think it will support what councillors have been saying and I think there's great strength in volume. So the more the more feedback there is, you know, I, I don't think it can be completely ignored. My personal opinion is that maybe the council asked councillors for their feedback first. Now they're testing what that feedback is based on from the public and then, you know, how strong the opinion is and I think maybe this is a test to see Councillor Tracy O'Dwyer says the Giltown Road shouldn't change. Well, is she the only one saying that or are there a hundred members of the public also saying it? So I, I think it is crucial that the, the public input into this and feedback into it. Councillor Tracy O'Dwyer. Another councillor, Chris Pender, also spoke up at yesterday's meeting about the Cullen speed issues, taking the Sunny Hill Road as an example. To look at a road like Sunny Hill, where concerns have been raised by, I'm pretty sure, every councillor that's ever been anywhere near it, to raise that from 60 kilometres to 80 kilometres is beyond ridiculous. It's like, I mean, it's just not good enough. What is the point of a traffic or speed limit review if we're not taking local knowledge or local expertise into account? Councillors in the community are the ones who know their towns best. And while we might not know all the technical details of the assessments when it comes to spaces, like we're the ones that see the issues on a daily basis. The community are the ones that see the issues on a daily basis. And it's another thing I'm very cognizant of. If we're to be serious about cycling, increasing speed limits on roads that people may cycle on is not going to help that. Yeah, like, like I mean, you're, 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 you're brave enough to be cycling that road alongside cars that are going 60, but going 80? It honestly just beggars belief, Brian. Like, I, like the reality here is now is that all of those public consultations have to be approved by each individual MD. And once that happens, they go to public consultation. And I know what people are worried about when things go to public consultation. That it goes to public consultation and the fight is already lost. But Chris Pender doesn't believe the fight is lost, provided the public take their opportunity. To make sure that the current limits are maintained, the pathway is for the public to make their own views known on the public consultation. That will likely be through the Council's internet consultation portal. But is there a case for the old-fashioned pen and paper submissions? Absolutely, there absolutely is. Like I'm, I am a, I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of technology, but I'm more a fan of pen and paper because it, like, there's a difference between opening up a consultation portal and seeing a hundred and something submissions on it, and going to your post box and finding a hundred and something letters that are cramming your table. So you have to go through them. I do believe that there is a, a greater impact when somebody sees post, like actual physical post on their desk, than. Like I said, opening up a consultation portal and seeing that there's like 50 submissions on it. Councillor Chris Pender. And this is certainly a matter that's going to run for some time to come. That public consultation, by the way, will likely start within the next couple of weeks and we'll keep you posted on the diary. Now to a brief look at the local and national online headlines. KFM Radio leads off with the fact that housing authorities leased 273 social housing units in County Kildare during 2020. And the cost of those was 2.2 million euros. The Leinster leader previews the screening of a new TG4 documentary next week on the murder of Kildare town woman Phyllis Murphy in 1979. And the Kildare Nationalist looks forward to outdoor music and culture in four themed weekends, 
that will run this summer on the grounds of Palmerstown House Estate. Looking at the Nationals, RTE headlines slow but steady progress by the HSE in dealing with the cyber attack that impacted the service last week. The Irish Times gives prominence to warnings that were given three years ago about weaknesses in the organisation's IT systems. And the Examiner reports fears that the state could face huge damage claims for the attack. The Independent has a COVID lead that it is now believed that the so-called Indian variant is less contagious than feared, which bodes better for hopes that next month's easing of the lockdown can continue. And that hopeful note wraps it for today from the Daily Cast. Stay dry, don't get blown away by the wind. I'm Brian Byrne, this is Kilcullen Diary, and thanks again for listening.